God chose us. The late spring of 1985 was hot in Lexington County, South Carolina. It was May 31st, and 17-year-old Sharon, Sherry, Faye Smith, spent the day with her boyfriend Richard and a few other friends swimming at nearby Lake Murray. It was the Friday before graduation, and they were all excited about their high school graduation that Sunday. Sherry loved to sing, and she was scheduled to sing the national anthem at their graduation. Immediately after graduation, she and her friends had tickets to go on a cruise to the Bahamas. After leaving the lake, Sherry's boyfriend watched her turn off the main highway toward her home on Platte Springs Road. Sherry's home sat back around 750 feet from the lonely rural road with a long driveway up to the house. When her little blue Chevy Chevette pulled into the driveway at 3.38 p.m., her father Robert was working in his home office. From his window, he could see that Sherry had stopped to get the mail from the mailbox on the side of the road like she always did before she finished the drive up the driveway. Sherry's father continued his work, expecting her to come in the door any minute. But when five or ten minutes went by and she hadn't come in, he looked out of the window again. He could see her car was still there with the driver's side door open, but there was no sign of Sherry. Sherry's father got in his own car and drove down the long driveway to see if she needed help, or maybe she had stopped to talk to someone. When he got to the end of the driveway, he saw that her car door was open and the car was still running, but there was no trace of Sherry. He could see footprints in the soft dirt leading to the mailbox, some mail lying on the ground, but no footprints coming back. In the car, he could see that her towel, black jelly shoes, and her purse with her medication were still sitting on the passenger seat. Sherry suffered from diabetes insipidus, also known as water diabetes, a rare form of diabetes that caused her to have extreme thirst, needing to continually drink an extreme amount of water. This also meant that she had to urinate very frequently. Initially, he thought she may have run across the street into the woods to urinate, but after calling her name, he got no reply. Knowing that Sherry would never go very far without her medication, he began to panic. He raced back to the house and immediately called the Lexington County Sheriff. As with any missing teenager report, police initially assumed it was a runaway. But when Robert explained that her car was left running, and that without her medication, her condition could be potentially fatal, they quickly put together a search team. Within hours, Sheriff James Metz, a graduate of the FBI's National Academy, put together the largest organized manhunt in South Carolina history. The Emergency Preparedness Division set up a mobile command center in front of the Smith's house. They parked a large trailer on their property that was equipped with radios, telephones, and was manned 24 hours a day rather than traveling to the local sheriff's office. Sherry's boyfriend Richard and other friends and family were quickly eliminated as suspects. Her mother Hilda recalled the community helping with the search. That Saturday morning seemed to drag by. I almost wore a hole in the carpet and couldn't stop pacing. Food was no longer important, even though our kitchen was filled with many wonderful dishes. Our community sent their love in the form of necessary nutrition. By Saturday evening, police believed that Sherry had been abducted, 
possibly in hopes of receiving a ransom for her safe return. Sherry's parents waited by the phone all day that Saturday, but the only call was a cruel hoax. Sunday, the day Sherry was due to sing at her graduation, came and went. The only clue the police had received was from two young men that claimed to be driving down Platte Springs Road. They recalled seeing Sherry at the mailbox. They said they briefly saw a reddish-purple car coming towards them, driven by a man in his 30s. They said the car was possibly a 1982 or a 1984 Oldsmobile Cutlass. Early Monday morning at 2.20 a.m., the phone finally rang. It was a male voice with some sort of electronic distortion to hide the identity of the caller. The man demanded to speak to Sherry's mother, Hilda. He wanted to prove to her that the call was not a hoax and described to her in detail the clothes that she was wearing that Friday. He described the yellow and black bathing suit that Sherry was wearing beneath her clothes that day. He then told Hilda that they would be receiving a letter in the mail between 1 o'clock and 2.20 p.m. He informed her that the top of the letter would be dated 6.185 and the time will read 3.10 a.m. He then explained that the actual time the letter was written was 3.12 a.m., but he decided to round it off. He then ended the call by telling her, They are looking in the wrong place. Tell Sheriff Metz to get on TV at 7 a.m. on Channel 10 and call off the search. The call was traced to a payphone about 12 miles away from the Smith's home, but when police arrived, the caller was nowhere to be found. The phone was checked for fingerprint evidence, but he had wiped the phone clean, and nobody recalled seeing anyone using the payphone. Though the call was not recorded, Mrs. Smith took notes during the call. The caller reassured her that Sherry was fine. He told her that she was eating a little, drinking lots of water, and watching TV. There was no mention of a ransom at all. The police did not want to waste precious time waiting until later in the day for the letter to arrive. Sheriff Metz called the Lexington County Postmaster and they opened the post office in the middle of the night so FBI agents could sort through the coming day's mail. By 7 a.m., they found the letter addressed to the Smith family. It was a white legal-sized envelope with a small piece of blue-lined paper pasted on the outside with the Smith's address and no return address. Inside the envelope were two sheets of yellow-lined legal paper. Both pages were handwritten in Sherry's handwriting. The first page was titled at the top, Last Will and Testament. The text was disheartening. 6-1-85, a.m. I love y'all. I love you, Mommy, Daddy, Robert, Don, and Richard, and everyone else, and all the other friends and relatives. I will be with my father now, so please don't worry. Just remember my witty personality and great special times we all shared together. Please don't ever let this ruin your lives. Just keep living one day at a time for Jesus. Some goodwill will come out of this. My thoughts will always be with you and in you. Casket closed. I love you all so damn much. Sorry, Dad. I had to cuss for once. Jesus forgave me. Richard, sweetie. I really did and always will love you and treasure our special moments. I ask one thing, though. Accept Jesus as your personal Savior. My family has been the greatest influence of my life. Sorry about the cruise money. Someday go in my place. 
I am sorry if I ever disappointed you in any way. I only wanted to make you feel proud of me because I have always been proud of my family. Mom, Dad, Robert, and Don, there's so much that I want to say or should have said before now. I love you. I know y'all love me and will miss me very much. But if y'all stick together like we always did, y'all can do it. Please do not become hard or upset. Everything works out for the good of those that love the Lord. I love y'all with all my heart. Sharon Sherry Smith P.S. Nana, I love you so much. I kind of always felt like your favorite. You are mine. I love you a lot. Near the top of the first page, the left side of the first page, she wrote, God is love, vertically, and Shaw Richard with a heart. The letter was sent to the forensic document examiners to see if they could get any clues at all. Many fingerprints were found on the pages, but they all belonged to Sherry. The most important clue came from the latent indentations on the pages. The paper had come from a yellow-lined legal pad, and it was clear that the pad had been used in the past as indentations from previous notes were visible. Document examiners used electrostatic detection apparatus, EDSA, to try to read latent indentations. The device increased the humidity of the paper, which increased the electrical conductivity of the paper. The paper was then put on top of a brass plate, and a magnetic field was activated. It was then brushed with a black powder, which showed the prior indentations on the paper. The process brought out latent indentations of what seemed to be partial phone numbers and a shopping list. The only readable words were beef sticks, mother, Bob, and the letters J and S. Later that Monday afternoon at 3.08 p.m., the phone rang at the Smith home. This time, investigators were ready to record the call. Sherry's 21-year-old sister, Dawn, answered the phone. Again, the voice was electronically distorted. Dawn, hello? Kidnapper. Mrs. Smith? Dawn, no, this is Dawn. Kidnapper, I need to speak with your mother. Dawn, could I ask who's calling? Kidnapper, no. Dawn, okay, hold on just a second, please. Hilda, hello? Kidnapper, have you received the mail today? Hilda, yes, I have. Kidnapper, do you believe me now? Hilda, well, I'm not really sure I believe you because I haven't had any word from Sherry, and I need to know that Sherry is well. Kidnapper, you'll know in two or three days. Hilda, why two or three days? Kidnapper, call the search off. Hilda, tell me if she's well because of her disease. Are you taking care of her? He then hung up. The police traced the call to a payphone about seven miles away at the Lexington Town Square Shopping Center, but the caller was gone by the time they got there and there were no fingerprints on the telephone. The search was then expanded to include the entire state of South Carolina and an alert went out to all law enforcement nationwide. We'll be back to True Crime Sleep Stories right after this message. What if you could share your story with the world? What if you could inspire others with your passion, your message, or your vision? What if you had a team to help you craft the perfect story for your business or brand? Well, you can. And we at With Aim are here to make it happen. 
With AIM is more than just a podcast production company. We are your storytellers, your voice, and your partner in creating a podcast that will captivate your audience, showcase your brand's personality, and build a lasting relationship with your customers. So don't let your story go untold. Start your podcast today. Visit with aim.co slash podcast to learn more. That's with aim.co forward slash podcast. With AIM, be the voice of your brand. The Smith family made the decision to talk to television reporters that Monday. Their hope was that the kidnapper might see how much suffering he was causing the family and would release Sherry. Her father pleaded, Whoever has our daughter Sherry, we want her back. We miss her. We love her. Please send her back home. She belongs here with us. A neighbor, Mrs. Terry Butler, saw the broadcast and contacted the police. She had driven in front of the Smith's home that Friday and recalled seeing Sherry pulling into the driveway. After passing the Smith home, she was met head-on by a car coming towards her in her lane. She blew her horn at the car and the man quickly swerved back into his lane. She said the man seemed to be leaning over in the middle of the car and not paying attention to the road. She then watched in her rearview mirror and saw the car pull over near the Smith's mailbox. She described the driver as a white male, slightly balding, and she helped police produce a sketch of the subject. Her description seemed to match what the two men had seen. That evening at 8.07 p.m., the phone rang at the Smith's house again. It was the same distorted male voice. Don answered. Don. Hello? Kidnapper. Don. Did you come down from Charlotte? Don. Yes, I did. Who's calling, please? Kidnapper, I need to speak with your mother. Don, okay, she's coming. Kidnapper, tell her to hurry. Don, she's hurrying. Tell Sherry I love her. Kidnapper, did you all receive her letter today? Don, yes, we did. Here's mother. Hilda, this is Hilda. Kidnapper, did you receive Sherry Ray's letter? Hilda, Pardon? I can't hear you. It's not very clear. Speak louder. Kidnapper. Did you receive the letter today? Hilda. Uh, yes, I did. Kidnapper. Tell me one thing it said. Hurry. Hilda. Shaw Richard. Kidnapper. Do what? Hilda. There was a little heart on the side. Shaw Richard written on the side. Kidnapper. How many pages? Hilda. Two pages. Kidnapper. Okay. And was it a legal pad? Hilda. Yes. Kidnapper. And on the side of the front page, it said, Jesus is love? Hilda. No. God is love. Kidnapper. Well, God is love. Hilda. Right. Kidnapper. Okay. So you know now this is not a hoax call? Hilda, yes, I know that. Kidnapper, I'm trying to do everything possible to answer some of your prayers, so please, in the name of God, work with us here. Hilda, can you answer me one question, please? You, you are very kind, and you seem to be a compassionate person, and, and I think you know how I feel being Sherry's mother and how much I love her. Can you tell me? Is she all right physically without her medication? Kidnapper. 
Sherry is drinking a little over two gallons of water per hour and using the bathroom right afterwards. I've got to hurry now. Okay, this has gone too far. Please forgive me. Have an ambulance ready at any time at your house. And on Sherry's request, she requests that only immediate family come and Sheriff Metz and the ambulance attendants. She don't want to make a circus out of this. Hilda. Right. Okay. Kidnapper. And where she said casket closed, in parentheses, if anything happens to me, she said her, one of her requests she did not put in there was to put her hands on her stomach, cross her hands like she was praying in the casket. Hilda. We don't want any harm to you. I I promise. We just want Sherry well and all right, okay? Okay, listen. Listen real carefully. I've got to hurry. I know these calls are being traced, correct? Okay, now, listen. Hilda. Uh, is Sherry with you? Or can you tell me that? Kidnapper. I will not say. Okay, now listen to us, please. You're looking in the wrong place. Forget Lexington County. Look in Saluda County. Do you understand? Hilda. Look in Saluda County? Kidnapper. Exactly. Uh, close to Lexington County, within a 15-mile radius, right over the line. Is that understood? Hilda. Yes. Kidnapper. Well, tell Sheriff Metz that he... I, I don't know what the problem is. I told you to forget about looking around your house. Saluda County. Hilda. Listen, there are so many people that love Sherry, and they just won't give up. Kidnapper. I want to tell you one other thing. Sherry is now a part of me, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Our souls are now one. Hilda. Your souls are one now with Sherry? Kidnapper. And she said she does love y'all, and like she said, do not let this ruin your lives. And, well, time's up. And please now have the ambulance ready at any time. Is her condition getting bad? Is that what you're trying to tell? Kidnapper. Just have the ambulance, and I'll give you the location. And tell Sheriff Metz to get all his damn men in Saluda County. Okay? Well, God bless all of us. Hilda. Will you call me soon? Kidnapper. I will. I've got to be careful. I've got to go now and listen. Please, please, please forgive me for this. It just got out of hand. Hilda. Just tell Sherry. I know she knows how much I love her. Tell her. Her daddy loves her. And her brother and sister love her. God bless you for taking care of her. Kidnapper. Sherry is protected. And like I said, she is a part of me now. And God looks after all of us. Good night. Hilda. Good luck to you too. Again, the call was traced, but their efforts were fruitless. The call came from another payphone eight miles from the Smith's home. No clues at all were found at the payphone. By this time, there were several thousand volunteers helping with the search. The family and Sherry's boyfriend were heavily guarded inside the house and not allowed to leave without an officer with them. The following evening, Tuesday, June 4th, the Smiths received another phone call at 9.45 p.m. Again, Dawn answered. Dawn. Hello? Kidnapper. Dawn? Dawn. Yes? Kidnapper. This is Sherry Fay's request. Have your mother get on the other phone quickly. Dawn. 
Get to the other phone, mother. Kidnapper. Get a pencil and paper ready. Don. Get a pencil and paper ready, okay? Mother's not on the phone yet. Kidnapper. Okay, now this is Sherry's own words, so listen carefully. Say nothing unless you're asked, okay? And I know these calls are taped and traced, but that's irrelevant now. There's no money demanded, so here's Sherry Faye's last request. On the fifth day to put the family at rest. Sherry Faye being freed. Remember, we are one soul now. When located, you'll locate both of us together. We are one. God has chosen us. Respect all past and present requests. Actual events and times. Jot this down. All right, I'm doing it. Kidnapper. 3.28 in the afternoon. Friday, 31st of May. Sherry. Sherry Faye was kidnapped from your mailbox with a gun. She had the fear of God in her, and she was at the mailbox. That is why she did not return back to her car. Hilda. Fear of God? Kidnapper. Okay, 4.58 a.m. No, I'm sorry. Hold on a minute. 3.10 a.m. Saturday, the 1st of June. Uh, she hand-wrote what you received. 4.58 a.m. Saturday, the 1st of June. Became one soul. Hilda. Became one soul? What does that mean? Kidnapper. No questions now. Last between 4 and 7 Wednesday, tomorrow. Have an ambulance ready. Remember, no circus. Hilda. Wait, between 4 and 7 a.m.? Kidnapper. 4 and 7 in the afternoon, tomorrow. Hilda. In the afternoon, okay. Kidnapper. Prayers and relief coming soon. Please learn to enjoy life. Forgive. God protects the chosen. Sherry Faye's important request. Rest tonight and tomorrow. Good shall come out of this. Blessings are near. Remember tomorrow, Wednesday, 4 in the afternoon until 7 in the evening. Ambulance ready. No circus. Hilda. No circus. What does that mean? Kidnapper. You will receive last-minute instructions where to find us. Hilda. Do not kill my daughter. Please. I mean, please. Kidnapper. We love and miss you all. Get good rest tonight. Goodbye. Dawn. He's gone, Mama. Within minutes, police arrived at the payphone that was used for the call, and again, no clues were available. Police immediately set up roadblocks encircling the area of the payphone, but after several hours of searching, there was still no sign of the kidnapper. The next morning, Wednesday, June 5th at 11.45 a.m., the kidnapper called again. This time, Sherry's mother, Hilda, answered, and the call was extremely brief. Hilda. Hello? Kidnapper. Listen carefully. Take Highway 378 west of Traffic Circle. Take Prosperity Exit. Go one and a half miles. Turn right at Sign. Masonic Lodge number 103. Go one quarter mile. Turn left at White Frame Building. Go to Backyard. Six feet beyond. We're waiting. God chose us. Police immediately raced from the Smith home to the location described in nearby Saluda County, about 16 miles away. Sherry's decomposing body was found lying on her back exactly where he described, in a wooded area directly behind the white building, but there was no trace of the killer. She was still wearing the same clothes she was wearing when abducted, but a few pieces of jewelry were missing. There were remnants of duct tape attached to her face, 
and parts of her hair had been cut where the duct tape had previously been attached. The killer most likely knew that the duct tape could have left clues for the police. Because of the extreme temperatures over 100 degrees Fahrenheit during the past few days, her body was already decomposing rapidly and there were signs of insect infestation. The medical examiner determined Sherry had been dead for three to four days. Most likely she'd been killed within 12 hours of her abduction. Determining the cause of death was a bit complicated. Because of Sherry's rare form of diabetes, she most likely died of cardiac arrest caused by extreme dehydration. There were also signs of soft ligature strangulation or smothering. Either way, the medical examiner considered it a homicide. Thanks for listening to True Crime Sleep Stories. If you aren't asleep yet, consider following the show. Maybe our next story will give you the peace of mind you desperately need. Or not.